Well, we're going to continue our excursus on Thanksgiving. I know this has been far longer than I anticipated. In fact, as I was just realizing, we're getting to the end of September. Can everyone in the back hear me? Chris, can you hear me? Wonderful. Great. Welcome to you guys. Did you guys all meet Marcy? (laughs) Great. Well, welcome, guys. I was talking to them this morning, and they were talking about how all the meals that have been brought, uh, and so thank you all for jumping in and doing that. Um, Yeah, so going back into our excursus on Thanksgiving, as I was realizing, we're coming to the end of the month, and uh, beginning in, what are we coming into, September? Beginning in October, we're actually going to have a variety of other people teach, particularly Bobby and uh, Paul will be doing a lot of teaching. So I was like, oh no, I've only got like four more weeks after this week. I got to get to a good stopping point because <laughs> I can't stop like right in the middle of this excursus. So uh, thank you all for bearing with me, but I know it's been helpful for me. I hope it's, I pray every day that it's been beneficial for you. Um, okay, so we got here because we were jumped into First Thessalonians chapter one. We got to verse two. And Paul begins to recount to the Thessalonians the thanks he gives to God for God's work in their lives. So we pause to think about the priority that thanksgiving was for Paul. It's kind of the first lesson we came to in these verses, verses 2 through 7. And we looked at this from three angles. There was the prominent place of thanksgiving in Paul's letters, the prominent place of thanksgiving in Paul's life, and the prominent place of thanksgiving in Paul's theology. And that third one is where we've really parked the car and spent some more time thinking about that, unpacking that. We first looked at some texts in Paul's letters that help us to understand why thanksgiving was so important for him. What was it that Paul understood about thanksgiving? And kind of to boil it down, thanksgiving is, like in terms of all the ways that God is glorified, They sort of build up, they lead one to another, but sort of the last link in the chain before kind of the final God's glory is thanksgiving. His people giving him praise for what he's done. We saw this, for example, um, in those passages in 2 Corinthians, that Paul says basically God's redemptive work is being done for his glory, but sort of an in-between, I think it was a link in the chain, is that as people observe God's grace spreading... They, they then turn around and give him thanks for it, and Paul links the glory of God directly to the thanksgiving of his people. That's not to say that if God redeems someone and no one gives him thanks for it, that he's not glorified by that, but that's just not how Paul presents it, right? So that's significant. That makes sense as to why Paul spends so much time praising God for what he's doing in the lives of others and encouraging believers to do so as well. And then we also noted that thanksgiving for Paul is basically... Praising God for what he's done, right? For who he is and what he's done. But recognizing that so much of what, of what, um, so much of what Paul thinks is sort of assumed. He, he, we get these little snatches of like, okay, this is how Paul thinks here. We see him encouraging us in this way. But sometimes we want to stop Paul and say, Paul, how you're talking about Thanksgiving is foreign to me. It doesn't compute, doesn't add up with my assumptions. Could you explain what's behind what you're saying? What what is your theology of thanksgiving? But Paul's not here for us to do that. So I'm suggesting that we can look at the, really, the scriptures more broadly and understand something of how he thought, particularly look at the Old Testament. And so we jumped into that. That's where we've been. 
And in, in the Old Testament here, we've noted that uh, much of the Old Testament is kind of laid out within the framework of the covenants. And it's really helpful to understand the covenant within the Old Testament to understand the place of thanksgiving. And because covenants, and really all of God's salvation history, has worked out over time, you know, with a, a beginning and an end, we're moving somewhere, it's worked out throughout all of time, salvation history, uh, it's helpful to break it down into the past, the present, and the future. And so we start with the past, Thanksgiving in relation to the past. And you can see on the screen here some of the things we observed there, kind of two primary things we learned. One was the importance of God's people remembering his kindness toward them in the past. The importance of God's people remembering his kindness toward them in the past. And in fact, I was thinking as Bobby was praying there about God's steadfast love. There's this very important word in the Old Testament um, that is translated sometimes steadfast love, loving kindness, um, mercy is how the King James says it. it sounds kind of cool. It's chesed. Chesed. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool word to say. Um, so that's kind of what you're talking about, though. That, like, our hope is in God's steadfast love because it doesn't change, right? And so even as I'm talking about kindnesses, that's actually the, the theme that's in the back of my mind as I write that. Um, God's kindnesses, remembering his kindnesses toward them in the past. And we noted how this was the foundation for the covenants, because this was basically laid out in the very beginning of a covenant. The Lord did this for them first. He, he redeemed them long before he entered into a covenant with them. At least, not, at least before he did, maybe not long before, but before he did. And then on the basis of his kind of unilateral work that he did prior to their response at all, He's now saying, I'm going to form a relationship with you. And the importance of that initial foundational act, and then all of God's subsequent kindnesses to them, is in the importance, not just the importance of that act, but the importance of that for their thanksgiving is evident in the kinds of things he instituted in the covenant, right? Like festivals, to keep them remembering what he did and praising him for it. Or even sacrifices, as we saw from Psalm 50. Yes, for a variety of purposes, like affecting atonement, but largely as an expression of their thanks to the Lord for all that he has done. So our takeaway from the observation about the importance of God's people remembering his kindness toward them in the past was that this makes sense of the importance Paul places on it for members of the new covenant. Remembering God's many and varied kindnesses toward us is our responsibility and, as Zach reminded us, privilege in the covenant. It's not just icing on the cake. It's like an essential part of what we do as those who have been on the receiving end of God's redemptive work. And it's our delight to do it. Furthermore, just as Israel had the festivals, which systematically reminded them to praise the Lord for what he had done as they're remembering what he did. So the church has baptism and the Lord's Supper to regularly keep us remembering those things the Lord has done. And so we need to take those things seriously, right? They aren't just things on the church calendar we participate in, but they're things we need to be intentional and thoughtful about, to use them as they were intended, to remember what God has done and give him praise for that. And the second thing we saw in relation to Thanksgiving in the past, or Thanksgiving in relation to the past, was its identity-shaping role. We said that when it comes to the past and giving thanks for that, in the Old Testament, so much of what they're called to give thanks for 
was that foundational act of redemption that God did, which in the Old Testament was the Exodus, right? The Exodus from Egypt. And that's always being brought back before them as they are remembering that and praising the Lord for that. And it's that event that really shapes their identity. When they give thanks to the Lord for having redeemed them in the Exodus, that thanksgiving sounds unlike what any other nation could say, doesn't it? And likewise for us, when we give thanks, there's a lot of things we should be giving thanks for. We get the privilege of giving thanks for. But that one fundamental thing that defines us as followers of Christ is his death and resurrection, right? That's the foundation of the new covenant. That's what created us as the people of God. And so by us regularly giving thanks to the Lord for that, we're just kind of reinforcing to ourselves our identity. We're reminding ourselves of our unique identity. So this week, we're going to move into the present. And quite frankly, I hope to get through the present and the future, but I think we're just going to do present today so we don't push ourselves too hard here. Um, but the present, and I'm not going to quite so neatly or maybe systematically separate it out, starting with the Old Testament, then moving to the significance for Paul. I'm going to let these blend together to, it sounds nice to kind of sort it all out, but it gets kind of complicated. So maybe we let it blend together a little bit. I think it'll still be clear uh, without being pedantic. So... In many ways, there's a bit of overlap. As I moved into the present, I realized, wow, a lot of kind of what I expected to say in the present was stuff we already said in the past, because whenever you're remembering what God did in the past, well, you're remembering something in the past, but the remembering's happening in the present, isn't it? And you're giving praise to the Lord for it in the present. So that's one big dimension that is also true about the present. What God did in the past has implications for our present. We need to thank him for it, right? But there were some other things. So we'll focus on these other elements that we haven't yet considered. So three things, three things here I want us to consider about Thanksgiving in relation to the present. And you can see the first one there, and I went ahead and gave you the subpoints and the texts, and then we'll walk through those. So first thing to consider about Thanksgiving in the present that goes beyond what we've already considered. Number one, in light of the central importance of Thanksgiving in the Old Testament— Paul's expectation that New Covenant believers would be overflowing with gratitude to God is not surprising. Right? Now it makes sense that we get a little bit of better understanding in light of those expectations within the covenant when looking at the Old Testament. But I do want to draw our attention to one dimension which is entirely consistent with the Old Testament but which we might otherwise overlook and which would be helpful to draw some attention to. And that's this. That Thanksgiving is situated for Paul in the category of ethics. In fact, I think it would be fair to go a step further and say that for Paul, thanksgiving is a core or central part of his ethics. Now, what do I mean by ethics? When you think of ethics, what comes to your mind? What kinds of things? It could even be an ethical question, a topic. Right and wrong. Yeah, right and wrong. Can you give me a specific example? Um... I'm not thinking of anything in particular, but I mean, there's a lot of opportunities, like in medicine, for example, where we yeah. have to, you know, take a situation and kind of analyze it, mm-hmm. um, and how you go about deciding what is right and wrong in a given situation. Yeah, yeah. We often think about like actions, right? And what are actions we should do versus actions we shouldn't. So, lying and honesty would kind of fall within the category of ethics, right? Um, not murdering kind of fits into the category of ethics, and you go on down the list, right? Um, There's a whole variety of categories of ethics. And so we think about Christian ethics, 
and a lot of stuff comes to mind. But quite frankly, the responsibility of Christians as one of their ethical obligations to give thanks to the Lord doesn't usually come to my mind. And yet, as you'll see from the text we're going to look at, Paul places it squarely in that context, in that category. So first, I've kind of considered here two uh, two kinds of texts that help us to see this, and that's what A and B are showing you there. The first kind of texts are texts where thanksgiving is the contrast to idolatry and works of the flesh. And the second kind are situations where thanksgiving is basically a good work. It's, it's a vital part of the Christian life. So we're going to look through these texts here under point one, first consideration. And I've put these texts up there. You're welcome to turn there but I put them up there because I'm actually going to kind of do some notations here so you can track with the flow because I want to be able to jump into these texts and not spend 10 minutes unpacking them, but help you to quickly get your mind around what's going on and see the significance. So Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So here I've just sort of highlighted some words. And the ones in red are all the, the, the bad things, right? The things we shouldn't be doing. The works of the flesh. You can see there immorality, impurity, greed, uh, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. But then the but here kind of puts it all in contrast to something else. And what's the one thing that stands on the other side of the ledger? It's giving of thanks. Isn't it interesting? Would you would you have thought of that? What does it look like? Go back to Paul's category. I mean, uh, yes, Paul's category from Colossians 3. But as Pastor Phil was just teaching us over the summer, the put off and put on. If you're thinking about that and you come to this list of things, okay, here's a list of things we put off. And then you're left to fill in what's something you might put on. I think few of us would have thought, expected Paul to say giving of thanks, right? But he does. That's what I want us to see here. And then he goes right back to talking about all the immoral things, right? Um, In that next verse. So you can see it's stuck right here in the middle in an ethical context. It's like the one thing that Paul calls us to do in this text. Granted, Paul has plenty of other good works he expects believers to do. I just want us to pass over too quickly that in this context, this is the one he draws out. He has placed thanksgiving in an ethical context and as the contrast to works of the flesh. Does that make sense? All right. So next we'll go on to that, that next one, number two under 1A, uh, Romans 1, 21 to 23. So here's the text. This will be familiar to you guys. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So, this is probably overwhelming to you guys initially. Uh, Basically what the indents are doing is it's just showing kind of two different things. I put in green here, in parallel, two things that are positive things. And then there's four things listed out here that are kind of the negative things. You guys see that? And there are contrasts. I put the butt out here. So hope that makes sense. And so just a few observations here. First, notice that giving thanks is parallel to honoring God or glorifying him. 
So you just kind of put them right there in parallel. That's affirming other things we've seen from other texts about that's essentially how Paul understands giving of thanks. And notice that the opposite to which not giving thanks leads, there's four things listed there. And we might place that into two groups. So the second one just has one thing. I don't know if you can call something that has one, one thing in it a group, but uh, in contrast to the first thing, basically break it up like that. In group number one, think of issues related to folly. We have, they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. They became fools. And then in group two, we have idolatry. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So again, Paul has placed thanksgiving in a context that deals with both worship and ethics. Which from everything else we've seen is what we would expect. It's just more tech kind of supporting this. It's consistent with worshiping God and the opposite of everything that we shouldn't be doing. It's opposite, the opposite of idolatry and works of the flesh. So that's the first way we can see thanksgiving situated in the category of ethics, that it's in contrast to idolatry and works of the flesh. A second one, though, is are these two texts in Colossians, and of course there are more we could pull out. I'm just trying to pick some representative texts here. The second one where we see thanksgiving as a vital part of the Christian life. And basically, it's sort of one of the good works Christians should be about. So first, Colossians 1, 10 through 12. So... Uh, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So here's kind of a breakdown. I hope these breakdowns are helpful. When Paul writes in many of these epistles, it's dense, isn't it? It takes some time to grasp what Paul's talking about. So hopefully this helps to make sense of it. He starts out with, so that you will, and then he gives us two things he wants us to do. First, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then essentially he, he explains what he means by that. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It means essentially to please him in all respects. That's why I put those parallel. The second one's explaining the first one. And then he gives these four participles that are explaining kind of what that looks like. Uh, what, what are these things related to pleasing the Lord in all respects? How we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. First, bearing fruit in every good work. Secondly, increasing in the knowledge of God. Thirdly, strengthened with all power. And then the fourth one, again, is what I probably wouldn't expect among that list. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. So we see that Thanksgiving is one of the four ways that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that is to uh, please him in all respects. But we also see that Thanksgiving is placed right alongside other things so closely associated with progress in the Christian life. Such as bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. You guys seeing that there, in that context? Just a central part of the Christian life. And then a second text, just the next chapter there in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, Paul writes, Therefore, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, sorry, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. 
And then here I broke it down quite similarly. Therefore, and he starts out with a comparison. It's not the main idea, but it's explaining how we are to walk. The main idea here is walk in him. How are we to walk in him? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And then he gives these, these four participles that explain things vitally important to living the Christian life, which is essentially the idea of walking in Christ. Ending with thanksgiving. And notice that it's not just that we need to be giving thanks. Notice even what he says, the overflowing with gratitude is what's to be characteristic there. Having been firmly rooted, now being built up in the faith and established in your faith and overflowing with gratitude, something that's characteristic of living the Christian life. So from these two texts in Colossians, we see that Paul presents thanksgiving as a vital element of the Christian life. And so it's that the first consideration about thanksgiving in the present, Paul situates thanksgiving in the category of ethics. And we can see it from multiple angles there. Second consideration related to thanksgiving in terms of the present, thanksgiving in the present spills over into other good works as it motivates them. So it's not only itself sort of like a good work, but it's actually motivating other good works. And so several texts here, I did break this one down into the Old Testament, then the New Testament, and this first one's a bit longer, so I'm going to turn there. You're welcome to turn there with me, but I'll read it out loud if you aren't able to get there in time. So first, Deuteronomy 8. Verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Notice that. So that's the opposite of remembering what he has done. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, so here's what happens when you don't remember the Lord and what he's done for you and praise him for it. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He's the one who's done this, but you'll begin to think that I did it. Notice how he even associates pride with this, right? Sean brought this out, was it last week? That often humility is what's got to be present for us to be thankful people, right? Um, Pride is what kind of drives out and makes thanksgiving impossible. Continuing in verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise... You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify you against today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So we see in this passage that remembering the Lord's redemption and providential care for us 
motivates faithfulness or obedience to the Lord in the present. They're going to stay faithful to the covenant as they remember that it was the Lord who did these things for them, and they thank him for it. On the contrast, in, the, in contrast, forgetting the Lord and his deeds, i.e. not being thankful, leads to disobedience. And turn back just a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Again, we're seeing the connection between kind of remembering what the Lord did with a thankful heart and uh, other actions, other ethical things, other good works. Verse 12, this is in the context of the Ten Commandments. So here's all about the, the commandment about keeping the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughters or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now notice verse 15 that he puts on here at the end. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see the connection? Not only is it placed kind of in juxtaposition by being put right after this, but he even makes that connection at the end. The Sabbath day command is related to what you were before you were redeemed and the fact that it was the Lord alone who redeemed you. The Israelite should be motivated to treat his servants with graciousness because he remembers that the Lord was gracious to him. The idea seems to be that maybe you'll take your Sabbath, but your, your servants won't have a Sabbath. They, they get to work seven days a week. That's what you might tell them. And you need to remember that, no, 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 you were actually like them, but the Lord was gracious to you. And he brought you out of that. He redeemed you from that. And if you're remembering that and thankful for that, that will overflow in how you treat your servants now. There's a specific ethical application that flows out of thanksgiving. So those are two texts in the Old Testament where we see this idea that thanksgiving in the present spills over into other good works as it motivates them. Here's some ways we see this come through for Paul. One is forgiveness. Paul makes these direct connections between thankfulness and remembering what the Lord did for us in forgiving and us being able to forgive others. Paul does this in a number of places, but let's look specifically at Ephesians 4. I've got it here on the screen. Ephesians 4.32, Paul writes, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, notice this, forgiving each other, how? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If what you're saying, if if your temptation is to think, wait a minute, what, what was that? I've forgotten how God in Christ has forgiven me. You're going to be seriously hindered from being able to forgive others, right? But when you are regularly reminding yourself about what the Lord has done and thanking him for it, his forgiveness of you, then when someone needs forgiveness from you, you aren't going to be stingy, are you? You guys remember the parable about the man who was forgiven much, right? And then turns around to someone who was indebted to him and demands payment for that. And the Lord says he knows nothing of that forgiveness. You can't be forgiven by the Lord and not be forgiving other people. In fact, our Lord says that in such strong terms, it's startling, isn't it? So as you give thanks to the Lord for his forgiveness of you, what he has done for you in Christ's death and resurrection, you will be motivated to extend forgiveness to others. 
our eagerness to and success in forgiving others. I know success in forgiveness probably sounds silly, but can you not sympathize with trying to forgive someone and it keeps coming back to your mind? You keep bringing this back. You keep wanting to treat them in a particular way because you remember what they did to you. And you have to keep doing the hard work of reminding yourself that, no, I'm letting that go, right? I do not hold that against them. I will not treat them as according to what they did. I'm going to treat them as though they never did that, right? It's, it's, there's an element of success that's needed there. And part of that success turns on our gratitude to God. A heart that is regularly remembering our own wickedness in the past and our ongoing struggle with sin in the present, remembering that God has graciously forgiven us of all that and thanking him for doing so, a heart that is regularly doing that will find forgiving those who sin against us to be many times easier than it is for someone who is not overflowing in gratitude to God for his forgiveness. Paul also presents remembering God's gracious redemption of us as a motivation to living for Christ in general in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. So we looked at one specific area, forgiveness. Now this is much more general, just all kinds of other areas. We're remembering with thankfulness what the Lord's done motivates living as Christ would have us to. So here's the text, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ, now that is Christ's love for us, controls us, Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. As I said, the love of Christ at the beginning here refers to Christ's love for us. If this is to have any control over us, we must be remembering it, right? It says we, we remember Christ's love for us that were then helped to be able to live as we ought to live, to be controlled by that. And then we see what happens, right? So that they who live, and we might add, live with constant grateful remembrance of the love of Christ, they will live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. How does someone live in such a way as Paul says he lived for other churches? where he had no regard for himself. He was just spending and being spent for the sake of others for their good. With, with no regard for what he might get in return. How does one live like that? By regularly remembering the Lord who did the same thing for us, right? Who, who gave up his own life for us. Who did not cling to his own rights, did not think, I'll go so far in serving others, but no further but who was willing to lay it down to regularly forgive people, to not set up fences and boundaries to protect themselves, but just wanting to love and serve other people, that's how you get there, by remembering that that's exactly what Christ did. So, a second consideration regarding thanksgiving in the present is that it spills over into other good works as it motivates them. So first consideration, thanksgiving is situated in the category of ethics. That's an ethical issue. Number two, Thanksgiving in the present spills over into other good works as it motivates them. I might say this. If you make progress in your heart and being someone who is more regularly grateful to the Lord, it will multiply fruit in many other areas. 
it won't simply be one area of the Christian life where you've made progress. You have laid the foundation, created the motivation for many other areas. And now a third area. Thanksgiving in the sense of remembering God's past gracious deeds and praising him for them does not need to be confined to expressing that to God alone, but also be shared with others. So I put up here three texts we'll look at in the Old Testament. (laughs) I'm realizing now, I told you at the beginning, we wouldn't systematically walk through Old Testament, then New Testament, but I've done this. Sorry. So first, I'm going to read this one because it's a little bit long. You guys are welcome to turn there with me. Exodus 18. Exodus 18 is coming at the end of the whole scene where you actually have the narrative of Israel leaving Egypt Egypt, before they get to Mount Sinai and you have more of the legal section. And this is where Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, as he's referred to in, in Exodus, uh, comes out with Moses' wife and kids and meets up with them in the wilderness because he had apparently left them. I don't think Exodus tells us this. We have to infer it from this text. But he had apparently left them with their family there in the wilderness when he went down into Egypt to deliver them. And so now he comes back out, hears them in the wilderness, brings the kids and the uh, wife to him. And let's look here at verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro... So he's basically giving thanks, right? I'm sharing with others what the Lord has done. Verse 9, what's the result? Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. So Moses shares with Jethro what the Lord had done for them. Jethro, as a result, praises the Lord. And apparently comes to trust the Lord. Notice verse 11. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. So we see here a narrative example of how God's praise is multiplied as his people remember and give thanks. Next, I think I have this text on the screen. Yeah, Isaiah 12, 4 to 5. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song for what he, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. So he's looking forward to the day when the salvation that's been promised in Isaiah will be realized for Israel and says, in that day you will say, don't give thanks to the Lord for what he's done for you, but he's saying don't do only that. Right in the midst of giving thanks to the Lord, he's saying, actually, go a step further and share that thanks for giving to the Lord with other people. And one more passage here from the Old Testament. Psalm 45, 17. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. 
Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. So I'm going to basically share with remembrance what you've done, and the peoples will give you thanks as a result. So it's kind of multiplying thanksgiving to the Lord because his people who are experiencing his salvation, his kindnesses, are sharing that with others, not only expressing that thanks to the Lord. So as I summarize that third consideration, thanksgiving to God should be shared with others. And so how do we see that now in Paul? Well, Paul, I'm not going to go through specific text. He very clearly follows this pattern, though. After all, if he didn't if he didn't do this, we wouldn't know anything about Paul's thanksgiving. But he shares his thanks to God with us in almost every letter. The whole way we got to this whole excursus is because Paul opens and begins by saying, I thank God for you. He's going to go through a whole long list of things that he's thanking God for having done in the lives of the Thessalonians. In other words, Paul's looking at a people who were pagans, and they've been radically transformed, and they are living a life transformed by Christ in the midst of persecution. And so he's thanking the Lord for God's grace put on display in their lives. But he's saying, I'm going to actually remind you, point out what the Lord's doing in your life so you don't forget that, so that you will hear my thanksgiving to the Lord and continue to give thanks. So I think that's another point we need to see from the Old Testament and Paul about thanksgiving. So, How can we summarize these three thanksgivings? Three considerations, sorry, three considerations about thanksgiving. Three considerations about thanksgiving that went a bit beyond what we already considered about the past. And they are, number one, thanksgiving is situated for Paul in the category of ethics. And I said, I think it'd be fair to go a step further and say it's a central part of uh, his ethics. Thanksgiving is regularly set in contrast to idolatry and the works of the flesh And thanksgiving is one of the good works believers should be engaging in. It's an important part of the Christian life, according to Paul. Secondly, thanksgiving in the present spills over into other good works as it motivates them. And thirdly, thanksgiving in the sense of remembering God's gracious deeds and praising him for them does not need to be confined to simply expressing that to God, but should be shared with others. Thoughts? Questions? All right. Yeah, super helpful for me. I think I just, I continue to come back and say, wow, each morning, like how much does Thanksgiving, how much did it characterize my day yesterday? And how much even now as I'm praying to the Lord, is it characterizing my prayers um, before I jump straight to praising the Lord for things? But I don't want to put those in contrast. In fact, the more I thank the Lord for what he's done, the more I'm encouraged to petition him for things, right? When I'm being reminded the Lord's the one who did all these things, that's the first place I'm going to go when I've got needs, right? To him, not trying to handle it on my own. So don't see those being pitted against one another. We need to be people who thank the Lord, not, not praying him, praying to him with petitions. No, no, no. Those two go together. When you're thankful, petitions will follow hard on its heels. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, we do thank you for your word, which gets, gets us outside of ourselves and the things that we're prone to think are important and reorders our thinking. 
Paul himself says that we must have minds that are renewed, renewed by the truth, because we don't inherently, in and of ourselves, think as we ought. We have disordered minds. We have confusion reigning, even as Paul said there in Romans 1, the passage we looked at. We, while we were living in rebellion, were just driving ourselves into folly. And so we need you, by your spirit, through your word, to be reshaping our thinking, making us think more biblically. And this is one area, Lord. I thank you for your word and for helping us to, to rightly see the place that Thanksgiving ought to have in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that for us, as we don't just hear this as an obligation that we've got to gut out, but we hear this as a reminder of a privilege that needs to be motivated by remembering what you've done for us. Uh, We are short-sighted, myopic people if we feel that giving you thanks is a a dutiful responsibility. It's, It's too much. It's a heavy burden. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be those who regularly, in a disciplined way, remind ourselves of your kindnesses toward us, that thanksgiving would be the natural overflow. And so many other things, Lord, as we've seen, we know that will help us to be forgiving people. We will be people who regularly give ourselves for for others. Uh, We are controlled by the love of Christ because we think about that and meditate upon that. I pray, Lord, you would make that a, a reality that can be observed months down the road as we look back on our lives, that Thanksgiving is more a characteristic of our lives now than it was a month or two ago uh, because of what we've seen in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I know that time to fellowship is a wonderful benefit of the additional time we have in here. And I finally got done before 12. So you have a little bit more time for fellowship now.